I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 23 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Reverend Matthew Krebin, senior pastor of Newtown Congregational Church, joins the podcast for a conversation with Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas on leadership lessons learned responding to the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School and how these can be applied to the coronavirus pandemic. As we're all now aware, news around the coronavirus changes fast. We encourage you to continue following the advice of your local leaders, healthcare professionals, and the CDC. On our website, The Christian Citizen has put together a list of resources from the CDC, the American Baptist Home Mission Societies, and a link to a ministry group on the Ministry Life platform as a way to keep informed and engaged. Those resources can be found at christiancitizen.us. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with Reverend Matthew Krebin. Reverend Matthew Krebin is the senior pastor of Newtown Congregational Church in Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, Matt, welcome to uh, Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on the podcast. In your recent article, Lessons Amid a Disaster, an open letter to my colleagues in ministry, you share five leadership lessons you've learned through trauma and grief that you've experienced in your own ministry. Before we get to that, however, tell us a little bit about your church and how things have changed for you as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, so um, my church, of course, is in Newtown, Connecticut, uh, which um, we're in um, the lower part of, uh, of Connecticut, uh, really near the New York metropolitan area, Fairfield County. Uh, as somebody remarked actually just recently, uh, you know, this virus doesn't really know um, geographic uh, boundaries. Um, doesn't know nothing about state lines. And so we kind of are in that uh, wider area where um, we've actually had more cases. The most cases in Connecticut are out of our county uh, just because we're kind of part of that wider swath that's closer to New York City um, and, you know, some of the Westchester County and, and other places that, you know, it had um, hot spots. So uh, we were impacted. Um, made the decision a few weeks ago that we would stop uh, having uh, in-person gatherings, really of any kind uh, for the church, uh, included worship, but of course, any other meetings. Um, and then basically had to kind of create, you know, how we were gonna continue to be church uh, in this new reality. So, you know, we've been like everybody else uh, on a learning curve of trying to figure all that out at the same time, trying to, uh, um, uh, make our way through uh, helping folks, you know, just digest the, the challenges that are, have, have already come to us, but that are, you know, probably exponentially going to be created in the coming days. So, and the only thing I would say is because we're from Newtown, Connecticut, and we've had um, a disaster of our own, which was really quite different than what we're talking about here, but still, I think people have, you know, in some ways, it's been a blessing and a curse. Obviously, there's there's more folks that have experienced trauma and traumatic grief and the challenges after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School that, you know, continue to reverberate. And yet, the community also learned a lot of lessons about how to pull together, how to listen to each other, you know, how to, you know, in some ways, our, our health, public health official actually met with the clergy 
a few weeks back before uh, most of our churches decided to cancel uh, in-person worship. And she said, you know, my other colleagues around the state have had challenges of people kind of talking, you know, back to them or questioning things. But but in new, you know, and 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 you know, kind of having people more. Uh, agitated and she said but in Newtown people were really responsive how can I make a difference how can I you know try and um, deal with this so she she felt that that was part of the kind of the culture of of folks that had had to deal with disasters in the past you uh, ministered to your congregation and community in the aftermath of the school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. You write that uh, your teacher has been pain and heartache. How has that experience shaped or changed your approach to ministry? Oh, I, I think it's changed, you know, for me, it's changed everything. It's the lens through which, uh, you know, just a part of us. You know, it's not the only thing I always tell people, you know, um, disaster doesn't define everything about who you are and what you will be, but it it is a part of, of your life and your journey. I think the wisdom that comes from those who've experienced a disaster and communities that have been through disasters is that, um, you know, for one, it's a long, long journey, um, you know, um, and, and for me, you know, it's shaped my ministry because it's, it's always a part of what, what we continue to do and what we're aware of in terms of our community and how I continue to pastor. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I think, it, and, and that's, you know, been so important to kind of, um, to shape even, you know, how I think about obviously the current times, but you know, everything, uh, it just, it's, it's a different lens. I, I would, I would liken it to, uh, it's, it's like putting on a, a you know, a, a different pair of glasses that help you see, uh, things a little, uh, from, you know, my case clearer than maybe, um, I did before, but it really helps me to focus on, uh, on ways in which the church has to be in the world. Um, uh, so sure. The, uh, first lesson that you share in the article uh, from your experience comes with a warning. You, uh, suggest that pastors will be regarded as heroes but they, they shouldn't get used to it. How so? Yeah, I think the, the lesson for disasters in general is that actually there's a lot of heroes in the early days of disasters. And we're already seeing that, you know, if we're looking at our medical professionals, uh, emergency folks, um, you know, even a number of different political leaders, even while we may have a lot of, you know, uh, struggles and arguments still and, and different folks that don't like certain folks. But, um, but you know, for, for a lot of folks, if you are actually doing your job as well as you can, uh, because nobody's going to be able to solve all the issues in a disaster. <laughs> There's just no way, um, whoever you are, you know, you're going to, but if you are really uh, doing your best, uh, and, you know, um, and people see that and, and experience that you're, you're you're showing a level of competency in what you're doing. Uh, it's why I think you know, uh, in general, um, everybody's uh, you know who who are leaders uh, in a disaster. If they're showing competency, generally their numbers, you know, in terms of even their approval ratings and everything else, go up. You know, because people see you, you know, as as a hero in a time of you know just great challenge. Um, so I think that's true for clergy too. Uh, and that was a lesson certainly that, you know, people were, you know, 
so grateful to me after you know um, after the initial phase of of the the shooting here and the experiences early on and and the ministry we tried to do and and I think you know that's you know but it wasn't one of the things I try to say there is that don't take it personally because you know if you're doing the best you can that's going to be a natural response that people have and sometimes we get the challenge for for faith leaders it's really for anybody but the challenge for faith leaders is we can start believing our own press clippings or our own responses and people come you know oh i'm a hero i'm a great you know and we actually kind of go after that as that's the the uh there there can be kind of a a almost a, a desire to chase the the adulation um and uh really people are seeing you as a hero because of your response, not because of, of who you really are or not, you know, I mean, that's just the reality. And because as I say, the other challenges as disasters go, as you continue on the journey after a disaster, then there's going to be a natural pulling apart of the community. People are going to be wrestling and struggling and, and are going to be angry. You know, that disaster means that all of your resources were tapped out, that there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of uh, struggle and unresolved trauma and unresolved other issues. And, um, and people are going to be angry. And some of the people they're going to be angry with are, are the very people that were leading, you know, them before and were involved in helping uh, to guide and to, to work in the community. Um, and again, it's not because you failed them then. It's just because that's part of the natural process, too. So my thing about that, that first learning is try not to take anything personally. You know, people are saying how great you are. Don't believe that that's to be an end all of, of who you are. But in the same way, when people say, Hey, you have failed me uh, and I'm really angry or, you know, this has failed me and I'm, I'm angry with you. Uh, don't take that personally either. And that's a really important lesson because I think, you know, sometimes people um, are as exhausted by that you know, after, after all we've done probably in the midst of disaster to have folks be angry with us afterwards, it feels like, like, like they don't understand and, and we feel let down, but it's not, again, it's not about us. You know, it's, it's part of the na- the nature of uh, ministry in the midst of the disaster. You, uh, you note the importance of self-care in the midst of a disaster or a slowly unfolding one like this pandemic. And you write that if you're not careful, you will offer up your very self, even the well-being of your family and other intimate relationships, all in the name of the overwhelming need around you. What do you recommend uh, clergy do to avoid that temptation to sacrifice themselves and the well-being of those closest to them? Well, I hope by naming it, um, you know, I think people intuitively, especially for clergy people, I think we understand. I mean, self-care in general in ministry is is something that people talk about a lot needing, and most clergy are really terrible at doing, um, you know, at least from all the studies that we know, you know, uh, clergy folk in general, in the best circumstances, not in the midst of disasters, don't take great care of ourselves, you know, um, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, ironically, um, even though we talk a lot about other people taking care of themselves. And so in most clergy, that's kind of your confession, you know, oh yeah, I, I, I could do more self-care. So part of what I'm trying to do is in the article is just reminding people 
that in a disaster, especially uh, self-care is, is so important and give people permission to have to step away. Uh, because like I say, um, in a disaster and then even after a disaster, the, the problem is, you know, even for us uh, in this unfolding challenge, we're looking at several months here is people may think, well, once we get out of the initial wave, you know, we were talking about this in the, in our, in our national conversation around the economy, you know, maybe once we get the pandemic, you know, under control, we can return the economy to what it was, you know, in theory, and it'll bounce, you know, hopefully it'll bounce back and do all this kind of stuff. And, and that's the same kind of spiritual church faith leadership stuff that people think, well, once we get through this initial stuff, I'm doing all, you know, I'm having to learn how to have church online and I'm doing all this other stuff. I'm trying to keep connected with my people. I'm doing everything else. Um, but once, you know, we kind of get that, then, okay, I'll take, you know, I'll take that break. Um, the reality is actually from what we know and from what I can tell from this impending uh, and ongoing disaster, um, there's not going to be time for that. You know, you're going to think there's time. Um, there's not going to be time, at least not time unless you carve out time. Uh, so for me, it's it's as much about time as anything else. How do you use your time? How do you recognize that time is a precious commodity and that it really is a gift to you as well? God gives us, you know, time uh, to do with as we will uh, in ministry and um, and in our lives. And and so how do we recognize that and utilize that in ways that also uh, renew us? And I don't have an answer to what will we knew every single clergy person that's, that's diverse and changes. Um, but we know that if you don't do that, I know that if you don't do that, that, um, that, that, that it can always um, be gobbled up uh, as I, as I kind of the image of the altar of the good in a disaster. I mean, in general in ministry, the good is always there. You can always do more stuff, you know, whether you're a local church pastor or in chaplaincy or anything else, there's always more good that can be done. Um, and in a disaster, there's there's tons more good that can be done, and you can see it every day. You can feel it, and people will feel guilty. You know, I should be doing stuff. You know, there are people in need, and I got to go help them. And and that's not a bad thing to feel. But what I'll just tell you is that'll chew you up and spit you out, and there won't be any of you of you left um, because the good will just uh, consume you. The good is, is precious in some ways. The good is are things that we want to do, but the good is an idol, just like anything else. It's uh, an idol that says, you know, worship me, give me all that you have and I'll take all that you have and I'll in fact, take you even, and I'll take your relationships. I'll take everything that you have. Um, and I, for myself, I think that that's, uh, it's like I said, I, I think it's bad for one, it's, you know, bad private self-care, but it's also bad public theology. Um, and it's going to be true for many of our heroes, not just for clergy, but we know from many other folks that are going to be engaged in this, that, uh, this is going to chew a lot of people up and, and they're going to be, um, they're going to be in pain and suffering, uh, in part because, uh, because of, of the overload that's going to be experienced in the coming days. In the wake of the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School, did you find you had to set new boundaries and limits for yourself? Were there things you did differently to take care of yourself and, and those close to you? Um, well, I was fortunate. In fact, what, what I gave people advice in, in, in my article there uh, was somebody that, that spoke to me very early on. Uh, and told me that uh, this very this very point 
uh, somebody that had been through a number of disasters and, and was on site to work with us. Um, and she told me, um, you're going to think it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. You think you're going to have more time. You're not going to have more time. I know that. Uh, and that was the biggest help I had because then it gave me permission because I had, had somebody outside of myself say, you have permission to still take your day off. You have permission to go to your kids' activities and not feel guilty that you're not somewhere else, you know, doing something that that feels so, so important and yet um, very may very well, uh, you know, cause your, your kids to, you know, have, see less of you and to that relationship to be experienced. Um, so, you know, those were those were like day, the day-to-day choices and the, the week-to-week choices that, that I felt I had permission to make in order for me to be more effective in the long term. It's one of the reasons, you know, I'm still here in Newtown, I think. Um, I had permission to take care of myself. You know, some of my colleagues, you know, for whatever reasons, some of them left for a variety of reasons, but many of my colleagues who serve churches here in Newtown um, uh, left. I know some felt, you know, that, 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 that challenge and that, that, uh, that stress of, uh, after the disaster. And, you know, I, I think I could, I'm still here in part because, you know, I listened to that little bit of, 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 of teaching that was there early on, that it's okay to take care of yourself and, and allow that to happen and, and to do it in ways that took care of, of my whole family too my relationships. We had a lot of offers after Newtown for the clergy. Hey, we'll bring you on retreat, come down here. And, you know, and people said, Hey, have a week and to renew your ministry, you know, will you come here and we'll work with you and coach you and, you know, help you in all these ways. And in some ways that was really great to have that, uh, those offers. But when I leave for a week, my wife is with my kids, you know, and has to deal with all of the stress and challenges that are regular for the family and the family that's in the midst of, of, of its own disaster. You know, my, my, my kids and my wife are all impacted by what happened at Sandy Hook School. So, you know, for clergy, it's also not just doing your self-care. It's like, are you, are you also caring for your relationships with, with those who are, are closest to you and, and spending the time um, – you know, really um, uh, doing that kind of work of, of, of nurturing uh, those things that are important to you, because that's the other thing is you can sacrifice the family. You know, people will say, hey, we're going to take care of the clergy, but sometimes your family is left on the wayside. So, you know, that's important as well. You suggest that in situations like this, purpose is more important than meaning. Um, how so and how does that shape your approach to ministry in response? Yeah, I mean, I want to be really, you know, I tried to be clear here, you know, um, but it's really important. I know that, you know, clergy, especially Christian, you know, it feels like we're like the resident local theologians. Um, And I think sometimes clergy jump really quickly. I'm already seeing this. People are riding all across the spectrum in different kinds of ways. People are trying to make meaning out of this pandemic uh, right away. You know, even before it, we've gone through what we're going to go through, and it's a natural tendency. And in some ways, I guess we do need some folks to to try and make meaning. But I can tell you, for most people who experience disaster, that's very unhelpful. It really is. It, it just my personal experience. Like, like I said, you know, when I was when we were going through it here in Newtown, the people that were you know most intimately struggling and wrestling, they weren't asking me why did this happen they were just trying to figure out how to breathe, you know, 
um, and like I said, reporters were asking me, the outside world was kind of saying, how do we make sense of this? But for all of us in this upcoming pandemic, as this is unfolding, you know, I think it's hubris personally for people to think I can make meaning out of this. I, I tell people, you know, from my experiences, okay, tell me the best thing you have theologically to understand um, why there is suffering and death in the world. Um, and now go and uh, imagine you're sitting with a, um, a parent who has lost their uh, six-year-old child who had uh, eight bullets in them and tell them that meaning of how all this works. And guess what? It's going to sound tinny and thin and it's not going to be enough. And the reality is in this moment, whatever we want to talk about meaning, it's not going to be enough. It really isn't. It doesn't mean we don't have meaning. It doesn't mean we don't hold on to our faith. Uh, what it means is to try and speak meaning in the midst of a disaster is actually, you know, just generally less than helpful. What people need is a purpose, is a sense that I have something tangible I can hang on to and I can do. Uh, you know, it's why even in, you know, the church has known this for thousands of years. Why do we have funerals? You know, and this is going to be a challenge for us as we have more death and funerals around us because we can't have funerals. But why do we, do, you know, it gives families things to do. It gives a community, you know, purpose um, in the midst of great grief. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, the, those, all those kinds of things that the church has done, you know, a lot of times our liturgies are really uh, not not themselves just meaning making what they are is their purpose making you know they allow people to have a purpose you know oh can i do that or okay we got to plan this we got to do that and and that's what people are looking for and that's why i really want people to grasp is that if you're spending all your time trying to give your people meaning about what's going on here and why this is happening and trying to give especially trying to give meaning that says hey everything's going to be great in the end you know i i, I I think it's going to sound pretty thin to most folks. So, and it's not going to, in, in fact, the authenticity is going to be lost. And, and what we hope would be a faith that's authentic is, is really starts sounding very uh, trivial. In, in your article, you, um, you note some of the learning around uh, the, the physical, emotional, um, the mental impact of trauma on our brains that, that trauma, in fact, changes how our brains work immediately and, and even long-term. Uh, what does that mean for ministry with people who are experiencing trauma? Yeah, so it's really important. And the other thing I think I mentioned just in passing, because I think this is a key for folks to know as well, is that there's a number of studies now that also suggest that long-term stress and anxiety actually impact the brain in similar ways. So it's not just, you know, trauma as we imagine it to be. And even in this moment, we certainly can, I, I think, anticipate that there'll be a lot of folks that are going to be directly, you know, have experienced horrific trauma, uh, our healthcare professionals and, and others, you know, who are going to be going through some pretty awful things in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but also, you know, for many of us hunkered down and, and experiencing really high levels of stress and anxiety, the brain actually kind of functions, it seems like, uh, responds in, in different ways and it's probably based upon that some of that survival stuff high stress high anxiety the brain says i'm i'm not going to worry about thinking about again this is why people don't worry about meaning making gets back to my further point but the brain is just kind of saying okay how am i going to keep you know the body from you know making it 
you know, and it, but it just, it, it, and once you have that, then a lot of times it'll just continue on. That's the challenge of long-term traumatic grief is that that part of the brain continues to, to have more impact upon how we behave and, and how we, you know, respond to things. And, and we get less able to be resilient uh, in, in response to stuff because we're constantly in this uh, state of anxiety and, and stress. And of course that that impacts us long-term. It makes us less healthy and, and, and does all kinds of things. So, I mean, my point for folks is that really what people, you know, and, and this is a challenge for us sometimes in the church, you know, we want to sit down and cognitively think about stuff and reflect on things. And, you know, as I told people, you know, some, and sometimes in the church, we think, why are my, why are the leaders or my church, why are people like thinking, you know, doing crazy stuff? You know, they're like, they're all panicked or they're, they're, you know, they haven't thought this through what's going on with them. And, and again, you can't hold people personally responsible for that kind of stuff. People are, you know, are dealing with this, these, these long-term stressors that are impacting how they can cognitively process stuff. So it's really important to use the body, what we found, what we know from, from trauma research uh, of all kinds is that you have a far better time regulating people's anxiety and stress levels, not by trying to teach them cognitively how to do that, but actually by encouraging them to practice things that help their body to regulate their mind. So just taking a walk, you know, just the other day, my wife and I, I was dealing with the stuff of the church. I was listening to the news. I felt my own anxiety levels. One of the things that's, that's happened for me is I, I, I'm more aware of when my anxiety and stress levels go up. I'm more attuned to that uh, in general, I think, because of my experiences in the past, because I'm also have a harder time regulating because I continue to have experiences from the, the impact of that trauma myself in my own life. But I went out and I weeded for 45 minutes. Uh, and, you know, just weeding for 45 minutes, I came in, I felt so much better. Uh, it was you know, I was out of my, you know, I wasn't thinking about all this stuff. I was, you know, and it was just pulling and, you know, I was sweating and, and, you know, doing something that, you know, and, and in some ways those kinds of, even those things are, you know, can help us, but the more we can get our bodies, whether it's walking, whether it's practicing meditation or yoga or, you know, doing some kinds of exercise, um, uh, we know that that could help regulate. Um, and so that's what I was really trying to say is how do you encourage people, especially high stress, anxiety, especially as people are kind of cooped up and, you know, looking on Facebook at the next, you know, posting that what's happening, uh, you know, how do you help people to, to find ways to help regulate that anxiety and that stress. And then even in the future, that's going to be a big thing. You know, in our church, we have yoga three days a week in at different times. If we've, we've been, supplementing since Sandy Hook 70 years ago because you know it's like I would rather have you know I can do more for people than going and telling them everything's going to be okay calm down they actually do better if I tell them why don't you go to yoga <laughs> uh, and then we can talk you know and then there's plenty of us that's for more for us to do but but that may help you more in the moment than um, than anything else I could say or do so I think it's important for leaders to know in this time and end up strategize. How can we make sure we, we have those opportunities. You also note the importance of uh, story and storytelling. Um, how did storytelling help the people of your church and community through the trauma they experienced after? Well, 
I think, you know, I think that this is where faith communities, and as I said, I think this is, you know, for people that are feeling a little anxious as leaders um, in in Christian churches, but also in other faith traditions, uh, you know, this is, this is in some sense our sweet spot. You know, we've been telling stories for thousands of years um, because people need, have needed stories. You know, it, we know this. It's contextual. And so after Sandy Hook, I mean, I think – you know, um, it was it was this dissidence, you know, the of uh, 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 the shooting at Sandy Hook School, which happened in December, just a you know just less than two weeks before Christmas, um, uh, and yet we still had to tell the Christmas story, right? But we could hear that story. That story has all kinds of vulnerability. Um, you know, it's it's a story of of joy and love, uh, and yet. It's it's a story that's rooted in you know terror and 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 responses that you know we know of the slaughter of innocents afterwards and you know th- there's ugliness to that so it's not just you know we we tend to I think the challenge for us in our storytelling is not to be telling as I said in my article not just to be telling and they lived happily ever after you know people don't need in this moment just to hear only the story that says hey everything will be you know and they is great. Everything's going to be fine. You know, everything's not going to be fine. I mean, so, so stories, part of our storytelling is how do we, but, but people want to know that the story that even a story of struggle um, has a sense that there is a destination. There is a, a flow. There is a journey that, that we're not in this alone. You know, it's why I, I use the image of the Exodus story, you know, that was told, but they really didn't write down the Exodus story from what we know of our uh, Hebrew ancestors in Israel uh, didn't really write down all those stories in the Torah in the form we have it until they were in Babylon, right? When they were in the midst of another uh, life that felt like, oh my gosh, we're, you know, who are we and what are we going to be and what's going to become of us? And and then they, 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 they write, you know, they put down their story in this new context and they, and the story isn't like a story of like Israel just, had no problems, you know, in, in the wilderness, uh, wandering through Exodus, you know, the story of Exodus. No, they had all kinds of problems. They had people were, you know, upset and lost. And, and it was ironic to me that that first week after, you know, we had the first, the first Sunday when we had decided that we would go to virtual, um, church, you know, and have, you know, uh, live stream it is that, you know, and, and I wondered how ah, maybe the lectionary, you know, we should, I should just select a passage that's not in the lectionary, you know, for us, we'd follow the lectionary most part, but when well, I always say use the lectionary, but don't worship it. Um, and you know, so if it doesn't fit the need, then find something else. But of course that Sunday happened to be the story of the Exodus when people were, the people were, um, were thirsty and there was no water and they said what the heck is going on here why didn't we just go back and and i said oh, this is the story we need to hear today you know this is a story of people that were anxious and what does god do god in that story god provides and in that case god doesn't say i'm mad at you people what are you doing god just says moses go ahead of them let them see you be vulnerable strike the rock and give them water you know god gives the people what they need for for the journey so you know that's a story. It doesn't, they still had a lot more struggles to go. And yet um, that part of the story tells us that. So for me, it's really important that, you know, we, I, I think people naturally um, 
connect to story. And if you will, I mean, I think this is where meaning comes. The meaning isn't so much. This is how we understand all of these big things. But the meaning is that I'm a part of something. You know, I, people come back to church after disasters. Uh, very often, usually they're short disasters. Right after Sandy Hook, a lot of people came back to churches um, in our community because uh, they were you know, they, and, but they weren't looking, I don't think they were looking for them for a meaning for me to say, this is exactly what happened. And this is why it happened. And now we can take this bigger meta meaning. They were looking for connection that they weren't alone, that they were part of something greater than themselves, that they were held in something greater, even if we didn't fully understand it and couldn't articulate it. Um, and stories do that, right? Stories don't tell you, Hey, let me let, you know, good stories at least don't tell you what you have to uh, believe completely out of it, right? Jesus didn't, you know, when Jesus told parables, you know, Jesus, the great storyteller, he didn't tell parables for the most part and then say, and this is what you need to learn from this parable. He told them a parable and then you have to figure out what the heck, how does that apply to me? And I think that's powerful. I mean, people, that's how people um, connect and move through this, uh, from my experience at least, uh, especially after a disaster or and in the midst of a disaster. I would just also say um, I've been a part of a project through Odyssey Networks called Healing the Healers. We've created a video series of other uh, faith leaders who have been affected by disasters uh, and 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 have led communities through collective trauma and have experienced trauma themselves. Uh, and HealingTheHealers.org, you can find it online, and there's resources um, for folks to be able to watch and. Um, and have some conversations, some honest conversations amongst uh, faith leaders about some of the challenges they face, which I think will be applicable for folks in the coming days. Excellent. Good to know. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for being with us today on Justice, Mercy, Faith. Well, thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate it, Kurt. And I want to encourage everyone to read uh, Reverend Krebin's article, Lessons Amid a Disaster in the Christian Citizen. And you can find that at christiancitizen.us. Thank you to this week's guest, Reverend Matthew Krebin. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Sarah Strosel Kagi, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen and find ministry resources around the coronavirus from the CDC and American Baptist Home Mission Societies, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We plan to be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.